reading from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan. I'm on staff here at the church, and uh, I'm glad you're here because last week we started a series that was all about this idea that the church, it's essential, and how essential the church is. And, and there are ways I think the church is essential to our society, to our world, to our families, to our communities. But in particular, what we're talking about, and at least what we're starting by talking about, is how essential the church is in the life of believers. It was, the, it was to the church that Jesus said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It was to the church that Jesus entrusted his kingdom, what Paul would later call the, the ministry of reconciliation, that the good that God is doing in the world of reconciling, bringing together the broken things in our world into wholeness. That was entrusted to the church that Jesus is sending his church to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, that it is the church that's the salt that brings out the goodness, that brings out the unique flavor of the kingdom of God in the world around, that that's what the church was meant to be. And the church was meant to be the light of the world, pushing back the darkness in our world. And Jesus said that his church, that it would be, nothing could stop it, not the gates of hell, not the powers of evil, not the powers of darkness. Nothing could prevent the church from advancing the kingdom of God to every corner of the world. And here's the truth. Whether you like any of the stuff I just said in, in, about the church, all of us like the idea that good would be done, that there are broken things in our world that would be made right, that the wrongs would be made right, and that things that were affected by darkness and evil and the darkness in our lives, the, the darkness in our world, that there would be light that was brought to all of those things, that the powers of injustice and evil and sin would be broken, that we want to see wholeness and vitality and flourishing in our families and in our communities and in our world. But what I have found when I end up talking to a lot of people, including a lot of believers, is the question is, how essential is the church to get that done? I mean, can't, can't we all just kind of individually, you know, when, when I've got some extra money, I'll give some money to causes that really matter to me. And when it's my turn to vote, I'll vote for things that really matter to me. And I'll use my voice and I'll get active in my community. And if we're all just kind of on our own, individually doing the right thing, do we even really need a church? And I think the answer to that question is a different question. Well, how seriously do you take Jesus? How seriously do you take Jesus? Because Jesus said that it was his church that would push back the gates of hell, which is the source of all evil and injustice and brokenness in our world. Jesus said he was giving the keys of his kingdom to the church. 
to get this done. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you just get the right democracy in place, that'll push back the gates of hell. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you just get enough better education or enough economic prosperity going on, then hey, that'll push back the evil and injustice in our world. He did not give the keys of the kingdom of God to America or to any other nation or to even individual Christians who could just go off and do good in their own specific way, in their own little context. Jesus said, I will build my church that his church would be his chosen agent, that somehow, somehow the collection of us, the community of us, the gathering of us, that it would be his chosen agent in the world to push back the gates of hell, to bring about the kingdom of God. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Government doesn't do good. I'm not saying that education isn't an important thing. I'm not saying that economic prosperity is not a good thing, that we shouldn't be involved in social causes. Of course we should. Of course we should. And of course those things, God can use anything to do his good in this world. But Jesus did not die to establish any of these things. Jesus died and he gave himself for his church and he is working and accomplishing his mission through his church. And as disciples of Jesus, in every area of life, but especially in this area, we are to follow his example. That we too would lay down our lives for one another. That we would give of ourselves to one another. That our lives would be these, as Paul would eventually say, these living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to him. But here's what happens. When I end up talking about giving yourself to the church, I want to be clear what I mean. I'm not talking about some kind of global, vague idea of a global church, although that is important. I'm not talking about an organization or some corporate entity. I'm not saying you give yourself to Community Christian LLC. We're not talking about some kind of organization, which is where you give your tithes to or what you do good with. I'm talking about a community. I don't want you to see this whole idea or even this whole sermon as some kind of sales pitch or some kind of fundraising campaign for us. It's not like we're hurting for money or volunteers so they sent the youngest and most attractive guy out to do all the kind of drumming up respect. That's not what was happening. When we talk about the church, this is what we mean. And this was the definition we talked about last week. A local community a local community of Jesus followers who gather regularly, commit together to help one another, to be devoted to one another, to continue to follow Jesus, that we each want to be disciples who fully follow all the commands of Jesus, and to live as an outpost of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in their local community. A church is a group of believers who are committed to one another. That you know another person and you say, I'm committed to you because of our commitment to Jesus. And we exist not only to grow our love for him, not only to grow in our devotion to Jesus, but we exist for one another and for the sake of the world. That the world around us needs a witness of what life in the kingdom of God looks like. We are to be an example of what life with God actually looks like when you see a group of people actually trying to do it. And that somehow, 
our love for one another, our radically different kind of life as a community, well, many in our watching world would see it and they would be drawn towards Jesus. You saw at the end of that uh, passage of scripture, it said, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people and daily the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That somehow their life as a community together, it drew people towards Jesus. It was like a light to the world, a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. That's what Jesus called the church, not America. Maybe this is a shock to you, but our world is messed up. It doesn't look anything like the kingdom of God. And I don't have to go into detail about it, but we all just kind of feel it. You just kind of feel there is a brokenness in our world, but the solution to the screwed up sexual ethics of our culture or the racial injustice in our country or the political division in our country or the divide between rich and poor or the mental health crisis that is caused by this epidemic of loneliness and isolation in our world. It is not for somehow Christians to go out and take control. We're not talking about taking our country back for Jesus. We're not talking about winning some kind of culture war that we think exists out there. But I don't also want you to hear that our job is somehow to withdraw from everything going on in the world. That our job is to go off and be monks somewhere or just go be Amish and live in some kind of closed community and we watch the rest of our country, the rest of our world burn. That is not the solution here. There is a third way. It's what a pastor in in New York named John Tyson calls becoming a creative minority. What he describes a creative minority as is a Christian community that is seeking neither to control, to take over, neither to abandon the world, but to love it to new life through what he calls redemptive participation. Now that's one of those, huh, kind of phrases you hear and you go, that sounds nice, but I don't know what it means practically. What he means is that the church doesn't have to take control to make a change. The church just has to be the church. That the church just has to be in a true alternative to the kingdoms of this world. And by doing so, this new community won't just be contained to itself. The change and the new life that is birthed in this community won't be contained to this community. It will spill out into the surrounding communities. Because when that happened in Acts 2, when it happened in ancient Rome, when it happens in countries all over the world, when the church gives up trying to control the world and also gives up trying to just abandon it to its own fate. When the church chooses, we are going to be an outpost of a different kind of kingdom in our community. The church actually loves its community back to life. It brings new life to its community. So the question is, how do we become this kind of community? Well, I think the answer is right there in the first verse of this description of the early church we just read. We see They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those first three words are the important ones. Say them with me. They devoted themselves. Their devotion was not just to Jesus. Their devotion was to one another, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship with one another, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Somehow through devotion to one another, through devotion to the church, everything else we saw that in that passage of scripture came out, it flowed through that. 
Jesus said the way the world would know that we were a different kind of community, that we belonged to a different kingdom, that we were really his disciples would be if we love one another. And you know, we say around here, love everyone always. And that's true. And Jesus taught that. He said, you love your neighbor as yourself. But when he said how you would know that how the world would know your disciples is by how you love one another. He didn't mean everyone. He meant one another, the church, the kind of community that you build amongst one another where people truly are loved and they're giving their lives for one another. That does not exist anywhere else. He's saying the way you're devoted to one another will be evidence of the fact that you are devoted to me. It will be evidence of the fact that you belong to a different kind of kingdom. So yes, we believe the church is essential to our world because I believe it is the church that Jesus has entrusted the care of this world and his mission for this world, his kingdom. He has entrusted it to us. But I also believe the church is essential to your life as a believer because you and I cannot follow all the commands of Jesus unless we do them together. And that requires us to be devoted to one another. So by the time that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, actually sits down to record his account of the early church, the movement has already become a multi-ethnic, multinational movement that is spreading across the Roman Empire. I think this is why Luke includes many of the details that he does about the early church, because the nature of the church was that people from every religious background and culture and heritage are being baptized and joining the church. And Luke discovers as he travels with the Apostle Paul to start and coach these early churches that every community and every culture has its own flavor and approach to life in the family of God. I think Luke knows life in the kingdom carries some key distinctions that every church must have no matter where they are. And so Luke gives us this picture of what life in the earliest church looked like. He says they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now there's a lot packed into this one sentence that tells us a lot about this community. First is that they were centered around the apostles' teachings, which were not their own. They were teachings they had heard from Jesus. Jesus had commanded the apostles when he returned to his father to go and make disciples and to baptize them and teach them to obey everything he commanded. This idea of being baptized and teaching are really linked. The word for baptism in Greek is the same as the word for immerse, which is why at Community Christian, we practice baptism by immersion or being dunked in water. But the idea of being immersed carries more weight than just a one-time event. Jesus is saying, I want you to immerse them in the life of the Trinity, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're immersing them in the new and eternal life of my kingdom, and that will require learning from Jesus how to live in his kingdom. So the early church was devoted to learning from the apostles who had learned directly from Jesus what it means to live in his kingdom. What a blessing it is that throughout the centuries, believers have carefully copied and translated and compiled the teachings of Jesus and the apostles into what we call the New Testament of the Bible. And so it's easier than ever for us to be devoted to the apostles' teachings. But I think it's important to mention that being devoted to the apostles' teaching is not about an individual quiet time and Bible study. This was not a description of what individual believers did. It was a description of what the church community did. 
This is why we gather together to learn from the scriptures together. We want every believer to have time each day that they spend time with God in the scriptures. But we also know that being a people who are immersed and baptized in the life of the kingdom requires communal learning. Because when we gather, we are not just learning how to live in the kingdom, we are making an agreement to one another. This is the community we will be. And so life in the church means devotion to being immersed in the commands and the life of the kingdom of God. Luke also says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. This phrase, breaking of bread, is most likely a reference to the meal of communion. This act of worship where we remember Jesus through receiving elements of bread and juice to remember Jesus' body and blood given for us, this is something that we as a church do every time we gather for the same reason the early church did, not only because Jesus commanded us to remember him this way, but because it's essential to a life immersed in the life of God's kingdom. When we gather to sing and worship, when we pray together, when we eat the bread and drink of the cup, we are reminding ourselves of the most important reality. Jesus Christ is King and He loves us. But often this reality is hard for each of us to remember in our day-to-day -day lives. It's like the old story about two fish who are swimming in the ocean and they pass another fish who's going the other way. The other fish says to the two, how's the water boys? They keep swimming for a while. And one of the two fish says, what the heck is water? You see, sometimes the most important and essential realities of life are the ones we're most oblivious to. And when we gather, we remind ourselves of what reality is. Reality is the eternal, never-ending love and generosity and joyful delight of God the Father, Son, and the Spirit being poured out on human beings at all times. This life of heaven is closer than the air we breathe. The power and presence of God is near to us, but with our daily stresses and struggles that each of us face, we can forget this. This is why it's essential we gather to worship and pray and receive communion, because we are kingdom people. We are Jesus people, and He is the center of everything that we do. So we're going to join with church communities all around the world and worship Jesus by remembering his sacrifice through the meal of communion. As Kelly already said, we're going to use the emblems of bread and juice uh, that you were handed when you came through the door today to remember the body and the blood of Jesus given for us. Of course, if you're not sure that you believe all that we do, uh, you do not have to feel obligated to participate. But for all of those who want to, we're going to come to the Lord's table together. And before we receive the elements together, uh, I want to pause to give thanks. You know, for many believers around the world, uh, this meal is called the Eucharist. And that's just a word that means thanksgiving. And so before we receive this meal together, we're going to be taking some moments just to pause and to give thanks to God for Jesus. And so if you would, go ahead and open the very first thin plastic tab on the top of your communion. And hold the bread in your hand. This is the body of Jesus that was given for you to forgive your sins and purchase new and everlasting life in God's kingdom. Now, before we eat, let's take a moment of silence and just give thanks to God for Jesus.
now let's eat and remember. And now if you take the cup in your hand, this is the blood of Christ poured out to make a new covenant, a new agreement between God and people. It was this blood that adopted you and I into the family of God. So if you would, take a moment to thank Jesus for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank Him for your adoption as a child of God and a member of the body, the church. Now let's drink and remember. Whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. Amen. And now, we want to once again give praise to God for the gift of His Son, for Jesus' life, for His death, for this new life uh, of the resurrection. And so if you feel comfortable doing so, would you stand and let's sing together.
as powerful as that was and as powerful as these gatherings are, it's important that we know the life of the church is about more than just what happens on a Sunday morning. When Luke wrote this description of the early church, he was not giving us some kind of checklist or some kind of bare minimum requirements of what it means to be a church. He was painting a picture of what the communal life of the kingdom of God looked like in this specific community. And it is meant to inspire any community at any time on what it means to live this same kind of life. That's why Luke just doesn't just talk about things that if you were looking at them from the outside, you could say, oh, I get it. Those are religious requirements, right? You got to gather together for some kind of religious teaching. You got to have a prayer. You got to have religious rituals like communion. But Luke also says they were devoted to this word fellowship. This word fellowship in our world is mostly pretty meaningless because Churches have fellowship halls where you can eat a meal, but you can also play basketball and you can host a family reunion and a wild game night. The one thing you can't do is dance. You can't ever dance. Or if you're really nerdy, you think about Frodo and the ring. Or if you're really academic, you hear the word fellowship and you think of some kind of uh, thing that makes you feel smug about yourself. But the Greek word for fellowship was actually this word koinonia. And this word is primarily talking about what would be referred to as a joint partnership. It was a group of people who would contribute together to a mission or to a cause. And so they're going to share the responsibilities and the finances to make that happen. If we're going to get this thing done, we're going to have to work together. We're going to have to share the responsibilities. And so when we often hear the word fellowship and what most of us think about is we think about, well, fellowship is that time when you come to church and you smile and you wave at people. And when you're asked how you're doing, you say, we're fine, we're fine. Moments after you just yelled at your kids in the car and the people in the parking lot. We see you. That's what fellowship means. What fellowship means is you come in and you act polite and that's what fellowship means. But when the early church thought of fellowship, when they thought of koinonia, they thought about family. A family is a fellowship. They share resources. They share responsibilities. They share time together. They share details about what's going on in their life. Unless you have teenagers in your family, then they don't. But everyone else, you're sharing the resources. You're sharing the time. You're, you're sharing everything in your life together. You rely on one another for support for encouragement. You depend on one another for affection and for advice and encouragement. This is the kind of fellowship we see described when Luke writes about the early church. He says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property. They sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And what ends up happening in our culture when you hear they shared everything in common, you think, well, that sounds like socialism and that sounds scary, but it also sounds like a family. It also sounds like what a family would do for one another. Every day they were together. They ate meals together. They gladly shared each other's company. And remember, many of these people were ethnic 
and, and racial and religious and sometimes national and social enemies of each other. We find out from some of the early church fathers, one writing of the early church father says, we who used to kill one another now call one another brother and sister. These people had nothing in common, but somehow in the church they had everything in common. Because the only thing that mattered was their devotion to Jesus and to one another. So could you gladly share a meal with a brother or a sister who had a different view on gun control than you? And I'm not talking about Thanksgiving, because you don't do that gladly. I'm talking about, could you have people who, who viewed life different than you, but they shared one thing in common, and that one thing they shared in common was everything. It was all that mattered. When someone had a need, no one thought twice about having to sell their possessions to make sure everyone was taken care of. Now, if I asked right now, would you sell your home right now for the brother or sister sitting next to you, you may think twice. But if it was your daughter who had need, if it was your son who had need, you wouldn't even be thinking about it. You would do whatever it took to take care of your family. The church is not a religious institution. The church is a family and not in some kind of metaphorical sense. In the most true, the most real sense, when you choose to follow Jesus, you are adopted into a family. And every believer, of course, in the world, but especially in the local church, your local community, you choose to commit yourself to. They are your brothers and sisters. And so, yes, you can ignore that reality and say, I'm all about Jesus, but I'm not really about the church. You can ignore the reality that these people are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can neglect their needs, but you need to know that the teachings of Jesus and the writings of the New Testament do not look kindly on it any more than the state of Georgia looks kindly to you neglecting the needs of your children. That the church is a family. Fellowship with the church, partnering with one another to do life, to share the burdens of life, to share in the mission of Jesus together, it is essential. Jesus did not tell you to go and make disciples. He told us to go and make disciples. He told the church to go and make disciples. And you are to be a part of of us. And it feels sad that I have to say this, but I think it's true. You and your spouse and you and your kids or you and the three Christian friends you get along with can be a part of us, but they do not replace the us of the church. And so community Christian, we want to be a church that in our context, in our period of history, right here in Coweta County, we really do want to be a family who lives out the kingdom of God for the sake of our world. And for 30 years, men and women in our church have not only found life in Jesus through community Christian, but they have experienced the fullness of life in the kingdom of God because they weren't just devoted to Jesus, they were devoted to his body, the church. Men and women who would show up every week to not only worship, not only to gather to receive community, communion, but they would volunteer to invest their time to cleaning buildings and teaching children and getting yelled at by many of you in the parking lot. 
And not because they really like holding signs or because they really like holding babies, but because this was the way that their family said we were going to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And if their family had a need, they were going to be a part of it. They were going to figure out what they could do. If there was work to be done, they were going to share in that work. If there were people whose lives were in chaos and they needed the first face they saw at the church to be a smiling one saying, we were waiting for you, they wanted to be that face. If there were children who didn't have a parent in the home or a father in the home or a mother in the home and they needed someone to invest in them, I've seen men in our church step up and hold babies and and step into the lives of children and invest in them because they said, I want to be a part of that. I'll tell you this much because this was my part for about 10 years or more in our church. Sometimes the most difficult part of any family are the teenagers who are going through all the chaos. The most chaotic time of life. And what happens in most families and sometimes in most church families is they kind of get shoved to the side and say, well, just do your own thing. But men and women who would choose to say no one should have to go through the most chaotic time where they're trying to figure out who they are and what life is and we just leave them to their own devices and whatever the world may say to them. Men and women who say I will be involved, I will be invested, I will treat your children like my own children. They don't do it because it's easy or they get a lot out of it. They do it because someone needs to walk through those difficult years with teenagers in our church. And I know so many of you are so thankful for the volunteers who did that. I am a product of a church of men and women who would do that for me. And I am so incredibly thankful for them. Here's what I know that you may not know. The people who do that part, the people who volunteer, the people who give their time are more likely, they are the most likely to be the same ones who will invest in every other way. They're more likely to give their money to make sure that the lights stay on, that recovery groups in our county have a place to meet, that during the pandemic, when it was so hard for recovery groups to find, that they would make sure there's a place at Community Christian for you. They paid to make sure the lights stayed on. They made sure that all of this could happen. That there are people who would pay to make sure that missionaries around the world and churches in our state could get the funding they needed. Organizations like Bridging the Gap in our county who are doing work in the name of Jesus for people who will never step foot through the doors of our church. They could have the support they need. People who volunteer and who give their money, they're more likely to attend a small group and they will invest their time during the week in the lives of other people to make sure that family fellowship is a reality. That people would look to other people and say, you're not just someone I see on Sunday, you're a brother or a sister. They are building friendships to make this happen. They give time to people in our church that they didn't even know before they joined the group to say, you can rely on me. Uh, You can rely on me. They share the details of their life and the wisdom that they've experienced and they share their burdens together and they challenge one another and they lift one another up and they make sure no brother or sister ever is neglected in their time of need. And here's the other thing I know. For many of you, this is not your experience of church. This is your experience of church. You've never experienced anything else. If you're honest, this is the only experience you have and you wouldn't call it this way and it bugs you a little bit that we do, but it is just content you consume. It is some spiritual teaching 
that you want to make sure you get a little bit of and you'll decide whether you do it or not. Or you've got kids, so you bring your kids, you bring your teenagers and you want them to get some good moral knowledge and you want to make sure they get a base understanding of how life works. Maybe you want them to get saved for heaven one day, but you don't invest your time. You don't invest your money. You don't have any relationships here that you're investing in. And here's the truth. You are missing out. You are the one who is missing out. And if you've got kids, I just want to tell you this as someone who's been on the other side of this for years. They eventually will smell it. They will see it. Our children's ministry and our student ministry are excellent. And they will help your kids love Jesus and love his church. And they will want to give their lives to Jesus and to his church. And then it will become clear to them at some point. They love Jesus and they love his church. And you don't. And you said you did, but, but you don't. You enjoy the Sunday morning event, but as far as a family, as far as the mission of Jesus, as far as devotion to any believers, they can see that's not really there. And I want to make clear, I do not say this to nag you or to guilt trip you or because somehow the church is hurting for money or volunteers. I say it because we are a family and this is a family meeting and you need to know. And we don't just need you. We do need you. You need us. The church is essential to your faith. It's an essential part of loving Jesus. An essential part of that is living in his kingdom, loving his body, which is the church. And I feel the weight, and I know Jason and Ed and everyone on our staff, we feel the weight of knowing that so many people who call community Christian their home never experience this kind of life. And so I'm asking you, I am begging you, would you take a next step with our community? If you've been here a while, you've maybe heard us say it, you heard Steve say it already today, go to the Next Step Center. We have a class that we offer. It's only one hour. In fact, there's one happening right after this service where you can figure out what life in our community looks like, what life with God looks like. Would you go out there today and just sign up? You're not committing to anything. You're just saying, I will be there on that day and I will get more information. But here's also what I know. Many, especially in this service, you've been coming longer than that and you did serve at one point. And you did invest at one point, and you were in small group at one point, and you stopped. Would you also go to the Next Step Center and talk to us there? We would love to help you take a step back into community. But before we end today, um, I've asked Steve to come back out because I know the nature of this, and maybe some of you are already thinking through this. Man, that was a really powerful speech, and I know the power of that emotion, and I know this is just manipulation. So I want to give you some time in the quiet, free from all of that. Just you and the Spirit of God to talk with Him and allow Him to draw you closer, not only to Him, but to your brothers and sisters. So Steve's going to come out and lead us during that time. An early church leader named Paul uh, wrote to a church in Rome, and he painted a picture uh, for them of deeply connected kinds of life that should exist in church. And before we end our time together this morning, I want us to just read through those instructions from Paul and think about how we're doing at living them out. 
Uh, the kind of life described in these instructions is really only possible, as Nathan said, when we're closely connected with other believers. And so when you see the words uh, that are going to come up on the screen that are in bold, if you would read those out loud with me. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. You know, living out these commands requires us to be committed and invested in the lives of other believers. And is that your experience of church? I want to invite you just to take a couple of minutes just to read through those words again quietly with God and just ask Him to reveal to you uh, where He wants you to invest more of your life uh, in the life of other believers. Where's God calling you to a higher commitment to His people, to His church? Let's take a couple of minutes to do that now. Heavenly Father, lead each of us deeper into your great love for us by leading us deeper into our commitment with one another. Help us to become a church where we're able to love one another and honor one another and comfort and encourage and strengthen one another so that your love may be seen clearly in us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. And now, as we close our time together,